The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 131. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest Star Trek Discovery episode called The Sanctuary. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. All right, so the sanctuary picks up from where we left off. Uh, we have uh, we start with George Philip and Giorgio in sick bay with uh, Doctor Hugh Culber, and uh, and we're go- He's examining her because of her semi catatonic states that she keeps falling into, and and that apparently Burnham has pushed her to go to sick bay, and. Um, She's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's a great line that Culber has, by the way, here. He says, the mm, early yep. stages of brain dysfunction will feel manageable. What was I doing? Where did I bury that last body? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have the same line in my notes. And she is really resisting here. Now, yes. on the one hand, I understand what they're doing because she's using the resisting as a compensating mechanism for her fear. She's afraid to show vulnerability. So she's being extra salty in Mm -hmm. dealing with people. Um, And 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 so that's fine. But she's doing it so much that on the other hand, it really illustrates why salt is a spice. (laughs) The thing the thing that makes salt and Philippa Giorgio's saltiness nice and fun to watch is it's not there all the time it's not her only emotional note but and she's not just constantly doing it irrationally to the point that it's impeding people's ability to do stuff but here she is just locked on insult mode Mm -hmm. and it and it is not fun to to see her like that it 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 got really really yeah. sickening really quickly. I mean, yeah. it, it just, I got tired of it as the episode went on. Yeah. So on the one hand, it makes some real world sense that this character would do that. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean it's a fun viewing experience. Right. Right. I, I've, I've often said like this season so far that Giorgio is my favorite character, but yeah, that the, the over they're over compensating here with, you know, Hey, Oh, isn't this fun to see her insult everybody eh, only to a, to a certain and level. And there were some funny parts. I, I, I got a kick yeah. out of where Burnham is there and Giorgio says, I killed my mother. And Burnham says at the same time, for the record, no, you didn't. <laughs> yes, yes. That was kind of cute. The, you know, Burnham like is undeterred. And, and Culber is also undeterred. I'm sure he's seen his share of, of cranky. And he, he tells her off. I mean, he, yeah. he point blank says, you know, 
you know, fine. If you want to die, that's that's up to you. But I'm going to do what I can to help you. Right. Uh, meanwhile, a uh, book comes to Burnham and tells her that he needs to go home. He's he received a message from his brother back on their home planet of Camino. I forget what it's actually called. It sounded something like Camino. Quajon. Uh, Quajon. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> uh, something to do with Osira and the Emerald Chain, which sounds like a 60s band, but it's not. Osira, if you remember, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was the previously unseen Orion uh, Capo de Capo mob boss, mob boss yeah. uh, from the planet where Book had been enslaved, uh, which we're going to see very soon <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some problem having to do with his planet and her. Uh, so, but he he hasn't heard from his brother in years and years and years, and so this must be extremely important. Yes, and he wants to run off and deal with it. But there's a problem with that. And for once, they do the right thing and they go to the admiral and talk to him about it. Yes, yep. very good. And and because it will take him two weeks to go in his own ship, and he wants to get there right away. So can we take discovery? And, well, and they they said one thing here that I don't think they've ever explained why this would be an issue, but they they said. Uh, it would take two weeks at warp and the tra- it'd be a 50 percent, less than 50 percent chance of surviving the transwarp conduit. Right. Yeah. And they didn't say why that would be an issue. Um, so they, they haven't really f- fleshed out anything about transwarp conduits or anything like that. So it's just, you know, it's just a throwaway line to put in there saying, well, we've got other forms of transport other than warp, but they're risky. Right. Why? Don't know. Yeah, because uh, <clears throat> Transwarp, as you remember, is the, was the technology that the Borg used to get around the galaxy really quick and that yep. Voyager uses to get home. But uh, so spoilers. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> for a 20 year old uh, TV series. But um, yeah, so interesting that they do mention Transwarp. Uh, maybe they've just realized, oh, right. We do have this other technology transwarp that we've laid out there. Maybe in a thousand years, people have figured out how to use that. Uh, we should explain why we're not using that in, in this right. series. Yeah, Possibly. well, they've mentioned transwarp before, but it's the first time we've had that detail. Yeah, And it exactly. could be for any number of reasons why it would be risky in this situation. Um, anyway, Vance, so, yeah. Yeah, so he so Vance initially is like, no, you can't go. But then he agrees to let them go provided they adopt this phony diplomatic status. Mm-hmm. Right. They're observers only. Uh, and the uh, argument is, is we need to get the Federation out there showing the flag. And now because of discovery, we can get out there and rapidly right. and get back. It's interesting. He mentions that, that the, you know, the, the Emerald chain, what they'll do is they'll go to this pre-warp uh, planet. And of course he mentions the prime directive. Prime directive still exists a thousand years later. Right. Um, that they would go there and they would help these planets that are in need and would just, oh, we just want to, you know, kind of the typical mob practice of, oh, you, you need this, uh, in this case, a uh, repellent for this, this sea locust. Right. But we'll give you, but we need something in return. Well, of course, the something in return keeps building up and building up and building up right. like the mob would do. Typical Suddenly mob. you need to pay for protection. Right. We didn't mention that the problem that has been facing Book's planet, uh, Quajaline, uh, Qu- uh, Qu- Quajon, 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 yeah, yeah, just yeah. say Quajon, Quajon, uh, is that they've had these locusts come from the sea and have been eating all of the plants and animal life for ages, apparently. Yeah. And this, since the burn, and since the, the burn caused the moon to shift and it okay. caused the tides to shift and now, now they're attacking. Right. And the only repellent is this stuff. And when we finally get there, the sea locusts look like 
bright blue flying bubble spiders. <laughs> yes, yep. right, right. Kind of cool, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Vance does say the Emerald Chain makes an art form of violating the Prime Directive, uh, but the Prime Directive doesn't apply to the Emerald Chain because they're not Federation, nope. right? So, I mean, yeah. the, more. I mean, the, the, the don't don't the, know what that line means. Yeah, the Klingons and the Romulans didn't obey the Prime Directive either. I mean, that's, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's not a universal law. So, and meanwhile, we get this interlude where oh, we do see Osira finally on screen. She's at the planet Hunhau, where she's meeting up with her nephew Tolor, the the idiot nephew. Um, and to show us just how uh, just how ruthless Osira is, she feeds her nephew to a transworm. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, we, we figured at the end of the last episode, his time on Earth or Hanau <laughs> was not long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She seems particularly upset that he not just let all the prisoners escape, but this Andorian named Rin, the one who'd had his uh, antenna uh, taken away from him. And so that. So that establishes him as being particularly important for some reason. Uh, meanwhile, Tilly is, try we have this little B plot that uh, Tilly is trying to help Saru figure out his version of the captain's engage or, you know, like uh, uh, Picard's so engage. Or yeah. Or uh, Pike's hit it, which I don't really remember, but I guess that was his thing. And so his first one that he tries is execute. And everybody on the bridge seems to be in on it. And they kind of like look like, mm, I don't know, that didn't really work too well. And so so throughout this, the episode, he keeps coming up with different words he wants to use for. And of frankly, course, this, this subplot played better on lower decks. Yeah, I was going to say this. This is this is just taking off lower decks where the, the captain there is is Captain Freeman's trying to figure out what she wants to use. Right, right. Warp me. <laughs> Warp. Yep. <laughs> right. By the way, I didn't mention at the top, this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes. So it's his mm -hmm. uh, his uh, first one this season, I think. Or no, he did a previous right. one. No, he did another one. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He, he did, did another one. So uh, meanwhile, we have Stamets and Adira. They're working on figuring out the data from SB-19 and the black boxes. Uh, they've figured out where the burn originated or where, you know, the, the origin point that they've been trying to find in a mm -hmm. nebula. And there's something the Verubin Nebula Verubin, mm -hmm. and there's something transmitting from inside the nebula. Uh, and as they play it, it's the music that Burnham had noticed that everyone's been playing and humming. And then it's <sighs> it's detuned. It sounds like music. But when they retune it like they did with the whales, by the way, in Voyage yep. Home, did that plot point come up again? Um, it turns out it's a Federation distress signal from a ship inside the nebula. Okay. Yeah, so possible temporal anomaly. Mm. Mm -hmm. Could it be the discovery from uh uh what's it Calypso? Temporal anomaly? Mm, I don't know, but mm. uh, but it if it's a Federation ship that caused a big disaster like the burn, yep. then that could be a sign that it uh, that could be indicate some kind of time thing. Yes. But we'll have to see. What I found really improbable about all of this is that this distress signal sent out on some unknown electromagnetic or subspace frequency results in people all over the quadrant having a folk tune in their head. I'm right. I'm, I'm 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 sorry. Battlestar Galactica has enough <laughs> has established enough supernatural that they can get away with all along the watchtower being like yeah. that. Yes. But Star Trek has not done the necessary well, preternatural setup to have radio signals turning into magical galactical folk tunes with well, mysterious origins. Well, then they do the whole explanation of the reason why this is becomes a tune is because you've got the pulsar 
frequencies going through the cloud, going through the nebula, mixing with the signal of the, it's like, really? Yeah. yeah the, I mean, I can, there's harmonic resonance and all that. We understand all that, but it's like, really? <laughs> right. Yeah. I just, just the writing, there's just too much confusion. There has yeah. to be some way out. They needed to, you need to establish something. You need to, you need to build this. You can't just plop it on the table and say, this is all of this stuff. I mean, it's it just, they're, they're rushing. They've got only so many episodes and they're rushing to get us to yeah. a particular place. And that's never a good sign. Um, and that, that probably says more about they've bit off way too much right. of a story arc than they really should have for Ex- 13 episodes, I think. If I remember yeah. right. Maybe. I don't know that it's they've bit off too much of a story arc. I think they're just because they're wasting time. On right. other things. Yes. That's and and it, you could say that if this was all tightly plotted and paced and it's not, if it just felt everything is too fast, because in addition to the out of nowhere, you know, magical mystery tunes, <laughs> um, we have all this wallowing in the emotional lives of the main characters. Mm, right. I mean, just in proximity to this, we ha- and it's so badly executed in proximity to this scene. We have Detmer who's been retrofitting her advanced 31st century interface. So it's more familiar. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and she tells, Oh, Oh, that I need fail safes, you know, in case this, right. in case I can't do it the 31st century way, I need to be able to do it the 23rd century way. Right. And Oh, Oh looks at her and says, the only fail safe you ever needed was you. <laughs> Which doesn't like, make yeah. any sense. <laughs> what a clunker line. And, and, and then we have this scene with Adira confessing to Stamets that Gray is no longer talking to her and yeah. feels like he's hiding and stuff like that. And I'm sorry, what is with all these emotionally vulnerable characters? Yeah. Right. This is, this is not like any other Star Trek before. I mean, I actually tried to go through uh, the other, the previous series and said, okay, how many characters, main characters, mm-hmm. have emotional vulnerability as one of their principal characteristics? Right. The original series. Well, no None. main characters. Right. Christine Chapel, yes. maybe Janice Rand mm-hmm. as occasional guest stars have that, but none of the main cast does. Yeah. Next generation. Maybe Troy. Deanna Troy. Yeah. And she's <laughs> and she's she's one of the least popular. Yeah. Um DS9. Esri Dax. Esri. Yeah. But only for one season and only because of a major life transition. Yep. Right. You know, she would have been fine after this season. She's already fine by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Voyager, nobody. Enterprise, Hoshi, one of the least popular. Yeah. Then we get to, so you notice we either have none of the main cast or it's the less popular characters mm-hmm. with the exception of Esri, but she's a special circumstance because Jadzia died. Right. right. Um, and so then we get to Discovery. Who on the main cast has psychological vulnerability as a primary characteristic? Michael Burnham. (laughs) Saru for the first two seasons. Sylvia Tilly. Hugh Culber. Adira. And Detmer. That's six of the main cast. Yeah. As a primary characteristic, that emotional vulnerability. Yes, I agree. I I agree on all of those points. Yeah, it's it's. It's wallowing, you know, in fact, well, it, 
And and Detmer, they developed. That's the thing, too, is they developed it this year as PTSD after that crash, the crash when they came through the wormhole. Right. The time hole or what time Mm -hmm. wormhole. Yeah. You know, if I if I could be allowed to make a comparison to a competing uh, franchise, I was just talking this weekend with some folks about the Mandalorian. What makes it so great? Mm-hmm. The Mandalorian, one of the things that makes it so great, and someone was saying, oh, if only they could make the episodes longer and insert B-plots. I'm like, no, what makes the Mandalorian great is it's focused. It doesn't need yeah. B-plots. It is exactly what it is. And it's, it, it's, it's, it, it tells the story that we care about and doesn't yeah. wander off into other people's stories. And that's what Discovery keeps doing is it wants, like Star Trek has always had B-plots. When they had mm-hmm. 24 episodes per season and you had to fill time with other stuff. But now we have 13 episodes. Stay focused. Like, I'm not saying you can't you can't talk about other characters, but stop wallowing in this other nonsense. Like, I get I like the Giorgio subplot because it it connects with the main plot. But this other stuff is just blah. Well, that's the, the great irony of this online distribution of TV shows. Now, they're not bound by half hour, hour long episode slots right and the mandalorian does that to great effect because some of the episodes are as long as 50 minutes and i think the most recent episode was a half an hour yeah you know discovery could do that they could tighten up their episodes so much but of course they did produce it (laughs) yeah well they don't want to but they also did produce discovery to eventually later broadcast as they are doing now on cbs They've right. gone back and they're broadcasting season one on CBS right now. Yeah. By coincidence, I happened to see a video this week by the YouTube Star Trek commentator Steve Shives. Mm-hmm. And his his it was on Kirk versus the computer, which is a you know recurring meme in the original series. And in where Kirk talks a computer to death. Yes. And <laughs> and and one of the comments he made during the course of this, he didn't reference it to Discovery, but one of the comments he made is the original series crew aren't a bunch of let's sit around and talk about our feelings, you know, bunch yes. of people. And it's like, yeah, that is true. So why is Discovery doing that? Because when you look at the vulnerable characters in previous successful Star Trek shows, they're they're very minor and they tend to be the less popular. Mm -hmm. So why do you think suddenly having six of them is going to make this a standout successful series? We will friends in space. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can have shows about emotionally vulnerable people. I mean, that's what a lot of soap operas are. Right. And they can be successful and they can be fine, but they attract a different audience. Right. And the audience for from start who are Star Trek fans have not historically been fans of this sort of thing as Star Trek. That's how it goes. All right. So Discovery jumps to Book's Planet. And uh, Osiris is on the way in her ship, by the way, called Viridian, which I, you know, green skinned Orion's Viridian. Viridian is a related to the color green. Uh, So little pun there. Uh, She's on the way. So Burnham has to beam down immediately with book. Um, They can't be tracked by discovery because plot uh, because they because there's a shield, a planetary shield that they go under. And it makes the plot more interesting if they can't be beamed up or communicated with. Uh, immediately. Uh, meanwhile, Rin, the Andorian, has who's still on board, uh, recovering, uh, tells Saru that he wants to leave, and he drops the uh, the uh, the note that Federation help always comes with strings. And again, the twenty fourth century Fed Federation folks are perplexed by this idea that Federation yeah. help would come with strings. 
And he's not the only one that does that. We actually get two insinuations that there's something wrong with Federation morality in mm-hmm. this episode. Just and so there this is apparently a trail of breadcrumbs they're gonna pay off at some point. Right. We're gonna get some reveal of something very, very bad and rotten in the middle of the Federation. Uh, so, but he does change his tune when he is told that Osira is on the way. Is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be vulnerable on the planet's surface when yeah. this a person who wants to, who really hates me and wants me to to, to take him back. Uh, so the again, the planet is plagued by these sea locusts, which are the floaty, glowy blue things. Um, they can't. We can't destroy them because that would be bad. Is would be book is opposed to you know squishing the bugs. That would be like you know ending a mosquito infestation or something <laughs> right yeah. yes you can or only... a real world locust infestation yes it, yeah. it better th- better to let you know millions of people die of starvation than to squash the bugs some bugs yeah uh, so, by the way something tells me that the the that osira is somehow responsible for the locusts at least not going back to where they were supposed to like book and his people are perplexed by why the locusts have not after all this time just returned to the sea where they belong why they're still hanging around. Something tells me well, that like they're... maybe the, the repellent isn't really a repellent, but just kind of holds them off for a little while. Yeah. And then calls them back. Exactly. Uh, we're told that book is estranged from his brother. Remember when we first met book, he said that he he's the black sheep in the family because he uh, saves animals as opposed to hunting them. Uh, and so mm-hmm. his brother hunts transworms for the, on behalf of the Emerald chain. Uh, so he works with the mob. And he's also not really his brother. There it is. It turns out they yeah. just they did they just call each other that. It's brother brother from another mother, as someone <laughs> yeah. might say. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think they were adopted into the same family. I think they're just no. They that's, just, that's they just that call each other. Br- yeah, best friends. You know, yeah. Yeah. deeper than best friends. Oh, okay. The I or I thought it was kind of like you know in a lot of cultures you refer to people as either brother or uncle. As yep. a sign of courtesy, um, I was being greeted by, you know, I, I said happy birthday to someone on Facebook from Indonesia recently. It's, oh, thank you, uncle. You know, which is what you do in Indonesian. Any older man you refer to as uncle. Right. Or if you're talking to a contemporary in Arabic, you address him as Yah, which is oh, brother. Right. And so I took it as more of that kind of social situation. But I couldn't help. Being reminded of, oh, here's a replay of Tasha Yar, who's who idolizes the Federation and her fallen traitor sister. Mm. And right. that's Book and his brother. OK, OK. Yeah. yeah, they I kind of figured that maybe like clan mates and that sort of thing, you know, an extended mm-hmm. family in that sense, too. But it's well, and, and we do find we do find out that they're both uh, impasse. And yeah, so that yeah. might be part of it, too. Um, his brother is the steward of the sanctuary which is the this area of the planet where the animals are kept i guess and mm-hmm. um played by h hernandez and who has a very strong accent and i i have to say uh i, I had to turn the subtitles on to understand some of what he was saying because mm-hmm. uh this it's not so much the actor's fault but the, i think the sound recording and editing could have been better to make him more understandable I want to know how they can. They're both from the same culture. They're so close that they regard each other as brothers. They were apparently raised together. Yet Book has a British accent, and his brother has a Hispanic accent. What is up with that? Yes, he's he's kids. A... Linguistics have linguists have shown that kids pick up their accents from their peers growing up, right, right. not from their parents or elders. They if they grew up together, they should talk the same. Yes, but uh, yeah. 
reasons. Uh, meanwhile, Giorgio is, is undergoing a full body scan. Uh, they're doing this cool, like she's covered in a gel and then it you can see through her. It's more of this uh, 31st century technology. Um, and then she has and her an episode. face goes bizarre. She has this weird spiky thing that happens. Is it the gel or her own body? This is this is the same effect they did for the uh, doctor. uh who was went into uh the, the on the, the seed ship who went uh out of fates. Oh it's the same special effect. Uh so I'm 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 thinking that they're they're gonna say that she's she's going out of phase for some reason. And I I've seen speculation that this is how they're gonna get her into the back into the twenty third century for uh the section thirty one right. series is it, it's gonna be something where she's out of time or being pulled out of time and so they gotta slingshot her back and she'll be fine then. Okay. I also like how when she terminates her examination, she palms a brain probe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So like to continue her own examination in private. Right. Uh, Book's brother, meanwhile, tells Book that he takes him at gunpoint back to the house and they're holding them there for Osira on her behalf um, because the Emerald Chain wants Rin, the Andorian, back for, for some reason. We're, about, we're not going to be revealed until late, a little bit later. Um, Osiris shows up in orbit and tells Saru, we want Rin back or we'll start blasting the planet. And here we have the second of the challenges to Federation morality, where Osiris says the Federation can't hold itself accountable for the mess it's made or the blood on its hands. Right. Mm-hmm. And Saru doesn't know what that means. I thought I thought it might mean the the burn, like she's blame, they, people blame the Federation for the burn. Because like the Vulcans, Maybe. the Vulcan experiments, that, that that might be it. She does have an interesting line here. She says, my ancestors knew that power was virtue and that there was no nobility in suffering, which is interesting because that is the exact opposite of yeah. of the Christian concept of both virtue and the the value of suffering. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, very different alien approach to to those. Concepts. Well, and it, it's also a. Uh... A concept that she gets the other side of it when she gets face power. Right. Thanks to Detmer. Right. Um, so Osira demands that Brooke's brother, Kaim, hand him over and, and, and burn him, you know, hand him over so that she can use them as hostages to force Saru's hand. To, to get Rin. How, and I'm sorry, how do they know, number one, that Rin is even alive? Yes, because he escaped in a firefight. That was a very chaotic situation. And even if you even if they know that, how do they know he's on discovery at this point? Well, in fact, they scan discovery. <laughs> they, that's one of those things where they talked about oh. uh, when they, the ship first showed up. It's there. She's scanning us and she's not blocking our scans. Right. Well, so, of course, you know, this, this yeah. is, you know, super future technology. So, of course, they can scan down to like an individual person, you know, read the actual DNA of a person from across space. Well, they didn't yeah. say that. Yeah. They, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, as far as they knew, he, like he got shot uh, uh, during the escape and would have would have or probably could have died, you know, in, in that instance. So uh, in any in any case, Rin at first refuses to tell Saru why Osira wants him particularly so badly. Uh, but he does offer to for no good reason. This is another. Right. It's like those Sherlock Holmes stories where if someone had done the expected thing and explained, there would have been no story. Right. Yep. But here there can still be a story. Just tell him it's not <laughs> mm-hmm. like the plot's going to collapse. If you tell Saru, she wants me because I'm the one who stood up to her. Right. 
It, well, he knows the secret about that's really what what's is going on. The secret is the secret that the Emerald Chain is running out of dilithium. This is the secret that he'll oh, reveal later. Yeah. He's the only one who knows, and that's why she wants him. Well, if he's the only one who knows, and she, she's as ruthless as she says, why is he still alive? Why did she not kill him? <laughs> or also, why not just shout it from the housetops? Because once the secret's all over the galaxy, she has no there's she has no further reason to go after you other than petty revenge. Right. In right. which case she exposes herself. And she's already going after you. So there's nothing is not any worse off at that point. Right. It just it it doesn't make sense that this this whole bit here. Um, but. Um, he does offer to reveal the weaknesses in the Viridian in Osiris ship. And so in order to attack Osiris without starting a war with the Federation, Detmer takes Book's ship, which is in the hangar, and mm-hmm. with Rin helping her, attacks Osiris. And therefore she redeems herself and gets herself over her PTSD by, you know, doing... Blasting things to kingdom come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I think that's pretty good therapy. <laughs> I, I, like, I, like how, I like how it's Tilly... That comes up with the even imp- improbable first officer Tilly. <laughs> yes, that come that comes up with the legal solution of okay, so we're rather because we're forbidden by Starfleet to attack using the Discovery, and even though Saru was about to, Tilly comes up with so let's attack with a different ship, right? And mm-hmm. they use books. Detmer is the one who guesses that Rin is the only one who's ever stood up to Osira, and that's why she wants him so bad. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that sort of comes up, but also, uh, so they're able to defeat Osira with the little ship and she leaves this, this super overpowered battle cruiser that could defeat discovery, but, um, she manages to fly with just 10% of shields left. And, and she warns scornfully that the Emerald chain is going to like, says that Saru has sealed the fate of the Federation. So, right. Of course, you know, this means war. Cur- <laughs> right. Curses foiled again. It's not like the typical curses foiled again speech, you yes. know? Yeah. M- meanwhile, down on the surface of the planet, we have a whole series of other improbable things taking place. Yes. Um, in the middle of the firefight that's been going on in orbit, um, Book's brother must make a tragic choice of, is he going to hand over his brother or not? It's like, thank you. I've seen this before. Yep. yep. We know um, how it's going to end. And, <laughs> yeah. Book and Burnham are running through the woods. Apparently, there are different defense systems stations around that are protecting this zone on the planet. And Osiris has been shooting them with photon torpedoes. Right. And so Book and Burnham are running through the forest to go repair a defense system that has been blasted by a photon torpedo. Well, apparently they're very low yield photon torpedoes because. Yeah. (laughs) Because as they explode around them, it's like these little like little sticks of dynamite photon torpedoes, not very big explosions. Not like nuclear bombs made out of antimatter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so so or so that's just all very improbable. And then we get the classic brother versus brother battle. Yes. Where and, they, they have to fight. And the solution to the big problem, the sea locusts, and so that we can free the planet from the ty- the tyranny of the emerald chain is cooperation if only if only they burnham had been there before to tell the brothers to cooperate and work together we could have used our empathy 
to tell Thank the sea you, locusts to princess. go back to go back to oh. the ocean, and that's what they do. Like oh wait, this isn't a Disney property. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. I, I was going to say I liked that Michael Burnham as a Disney princess. Yeah, <laughs> Paramount. Princess. Actually, lo- looking at the other franchise that uh disney is running they're doing a lot better job of it right now (laughs) yes so discovery amplifies their empathic signal that they share by putting their foreheads together and oh and grabbing their hands together yes yes and uh, that tells the sea locusts to go home and they do and that awfully simple no no it's asks it's ask remember they can't tell them to do anything it's right ask them to go home who do they think they are aquaman (laughs) so this (laughs) century-old problem that had been no possible solution that we were facing starvation it takes burnham to figure it out how to fix it and it's a reconciliation ending again yes uh, meanwhile, then we, we end with Rin re- making this reveal of the Emerald Chain running out of dilithium. And uh, we have the the algorithm decoding the signal from the nebula is still running. Which, Stamets and Adira what, still working apparent, on that. Apparent, apparently Discovery's computers weren't upgraded because you would think they would have the actual key code to decode the thing as quickly as a modern computer can, like, <laughs> right. say, the video you watched to watch this. Right, right. And then uh, we are given a little hint that the the name the Cleveland Booker is is an alias that book has his real name is like uh, Triax or something like that uh, along those lines. Yeah. Well, uh, we'd been told before that book yeah. was not his real name and that people use fake names. We just didn't know his real one until his brother blurted it out. He he hints that there's a story behind it, so we might have to mm-hmm. wait to, to hear what that is. Um, we get to see uh, Kaheem's nephew and now everybody's family again. I mean, Kaheem's son. I, I, yeah. I, I, I do like that um, Linus is going through his annual molt <laughs> yes. and, and, and when he, when his nephew is points at Linus in the hallway and says, "Lizard!" Burnham <laughs> takes him and says, "I'll let you pick a piece of skin off his face." <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, yeah. the kid's like, "Ew, cool." <laughs> I mean, earlier Saru had to uh, like give an order that Linus was to stay in his quarters until his molt is finished. <laughs> right. stay, yeah. stay, stay out of the mess hall. Yeah, stay out of the mess hall. <laughs> of the mess hall. That's right. You. Uh, and then uh, we end with uh, Bur- uh, Booker B- and Burnham repairing his ship because. It had been damaged during the battle and, you know, and oh. Booker's saying that he's sticking around. Yeah. You know, and he's going to join not, the Federation or something. Yeah. So I told you last episode, Booker's going to join. Yep. He's yep. going to be Starfleet. Although he has to remember not to say aye aye because we're not pirates. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so and that's where we end. So uh, last thoughts, Father Corey, any last thoughts on this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy? It was an episode. It was an episode. Jimmy? So, um. Star Trek has a problem of introducing suddenly introducing family members we've never heard before heard of before right. and this was kind of that with Book's brother. Mm-hmm. Also there's a problem if you want to introduce someone and immediately have high drama with them, I can't care about people I don't know. Right. You know, it it just automatically is not going to be as successful as if there were two characters that are pitted against each other and I both I know both of them. I may even like both of them. Yeah. And then we've got the ridiculous, you know, brother versus brother fight that um, is implausible on a bunch of levels, including when Book hands his brother a gun, <laughs> yes. you know, um, and his brother can't kill him, despite the fact he was just trying to. Yes. And, you, you know, in this 
one-on-one duel in a classic in a situation like this, the cliche thing to happen is something is going to happen that avoids them killing each other. Right. The the one time I've seen this really done well was on Babylon 5, where Londo Malari had to fight a duel with like his old close associate. And his old close associate ended up dying. Right. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. and and because it breaks the cliche and but the cliche thing is the, the two old friends can't end up kill each other in the end. So, of course, they don't hear. Right. And mm-hmm. it's just more cliched writing. Also, we have a scene late in the episode where Culber and Stamets are talking about Adira while she's asleep. And it's almost like they're proud parents because they're just so talking her up. Yes. You know, and and they and oh, she's technically a kid, but she's doing all this amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And she's not just Adira. She's Wesleya. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because she's the genius super kid only instead of being hated by everybody everybody's got to constantly praise her because that's what we do now you know i the wonder ship couldn't run without her <laughs> you know i wonder stamets i feel like they're they're trying to rehabilitate stamets from the cranky jerk that he used to be into mm-hmm. this you know mentor figure who is avuncular guy yeah yeah then they're using adira to 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 change the Stamets character. I, I wonder if well, that's and, what they're he, doing. And he cha- he did change first season because, you know, it started out. I mean, he was like, oh, yeah, mean one, Mr. Grinch. I yeah. mean, he was, you know, foul. Then he became but, fuzzy guy. The yeah. Warm and fuzzy. That, now they're now they're making him, you know, dad, basically. Yeah. Nice dad. Nice dad. He's a ward cleaver. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting character change there anyway. Um, all right. So. I think that's where we should wrap things up here. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Johannes B, Jordan S, Dixie V, Ricky S, and Daniel S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Sanctuary? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next Discovery episode called Terra Firma Part 1. Yes, it's the first part of a two-parter. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I can deconstruct the both of you with a snappy insult and a withering glance. <laughs> <laughs>